From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights. And this is Corona Business Insights. I'm Sandra Peter. And I'm Kai Rima. And with everything that's happening out there, it's difficult to understand what COVID-19 will mean for the business world. So in this series, we've been unpacking its impact on business, economy, industry, government, workers and society, and looking at the effects of the pandemic. And this podcast is, of course, part of a larger initiative by the University of Sydney Business School. Our COVID Business Impact Dashboard is a living initiative, which we constantly update with insights and resources from academics, from industry experts, from Nobel Prize winners and movers and shakers. And you can find all of these resources online at sbi.sydney.edu.au slash coronavirus. And today we talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic sheds new lights on the ideas of the four-day workweek. So the four-day workweek has been in the news recently, given that the Singapore Parliament has been tabling a notion that people would be better off with a four-day workweek than with the traditional Monday to Friday workweek, as well as a Facebook stream by New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who mused about the idea of a four-day workweek recently, saying that it might help domestic tourism as well as provide more flexible working arrangements for New Zealanders, who could also then boost tourism by traveling more on their three days off. So the four-day workweek is really one of those topics, a little bit like universal basic income. They have been around for a while. They've been a fringe idea. They've been tested by a few companies successfully. So Microsoft has trialed it. There's a few smaller companies who have employed it. But it's never really made its way into the mainstream. And so the COVID-19 pandemic provides a new impetus for rethinking or shedding new light at a lot of these initiatives that are coming up. So we want to have a look at what the four-day workweek actually is, how it relates to the pandemic, and what it can do to find different ways of working. It is helpful to begin with clarifying just what the four-day workweek might entail, because the different initiatives in different countries have put this forward for different reasons and have put forward different variants of the four-day workweek. So while some have been talking about reducing the number of hours that we work from, say, 40 hours or 37 and a half hours a week down to 30 hours a week, other proponents have just insisted on doing more over the four days that we would be at work. So working, for instance, 10-hour days, so the amount of work would not change. And also the motivation are different ones. So one motivation would be to distribute what is now less work in society as we come out of the pandemic on more shoulders rather than having people lose their jobs. Others make an argument around work-life balance. And there's also arguments that precede the discussion around the pandemic, which would talk about prolonging one's work life, having a later retirement, but working less every week over the course of one's work life. So we thought we look at each of these different proposals and have a look how they are different. So first, let's have a look at the volume of work argument, because this is how the conversation has now resurfaced in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. But let's not forget, this has always been an argument during times of economic struggle. So the first time this argument has surfaced was during the Great Depression. Kellogg actually shifted to a 30-hour workweek model during the Great Depression. But this was also the time where we cemented the move from the six-day workweek to the five-day workweek to ensure that more people had access to work when there was a lot less work to go around. So the argument is really that now that we're coming out of the pandemic, there's less work 
to be done. And rather than having people lose their job, we distribute what is now less work on more shoulders. This is actually a concept that has been around in my home country, Germany, for quite a while under the label of Kurzarbeit, which literally means short work, where companies in an economic downturn can decide to reduce the number of days everyone's working at a reduced pay to keep jobs and keep the workforce in place so that they don't have to fire and then rehire, retrain and all these kinds of things. So really a way to cope with a crisis. But there are also more permanent arguments, such as the productivity and cost argument. And there are a number of pilot studies and some research emerging that says that if we do reduce the number of hours we work every week, for instance, from a 40-hour workweek or 37.5-hour workweek down to a 30-hour workweek, this will increase worker productivity and will also help with work-life balance. And indeed, we had a look on the Future This Week podcast a couple of years ago at a New Zealand finance company that had actually reduced the number of hours that its employees worked down to a 30-hour work week. The company called Perpetual Guardian calls it the 100-80-100 model. That is 100% productivity for 80% time at 100% salary. And employees had reported a significantly better work-life balance, lower job stress. They reported having a higher job satisfaction, being more engaged, but also managers reported the same level of productivity. Furthermore, they found people being more creative, more engaged at work, providing better customer service, being more helpful to their colleagues. And this has also been echoed by a pilot project at Microsoft in Japan, where they did a similar thing and they reported productivity increases of up to 40%. And let's not forget that there's also a cost argument to be made when people are in the office 20% less than certain running costs for electricity, for consumables will go down by about 20%. So less toilet paper. So less toilet paper, for example, you know, very important during a pandemic. But also, if this is a permanent measure, there could be desk sharing and less real estate footprint. Not only that, but it might also lead to a lower cost for the climate. A white paper published back already in 2006 made the case that if, for instance, the US adopted European working hours, that is shorter working hours, American carbon emissions would have fallen over the next 10 years by about 7% to the levels of 1990. And that would have been enough for the US back then to meet the targets set forth in the Kyoto Protocol. So a similar argument could be made now that those long commutes wouldn't occur on a day a week for a very large number of employed people could make a significant change in the climate cost of commuting. And so that points to the third argument, which is actually just a variant of the second one which we might call the less commute argument, where we don't reduce the number of hours in a week necessarily, but we squeeze those same work hours into less days. So instead of doing five eight-hour workdays, we now do four 10-hour workdays, which means we work for the same amount of time, but we don't have to commute to work five days a week, which, you know, reduces the setup cost, especially in cities like Sydney, where many people have a long commute that might actually be good for employee well-being. And it might also give them that day off which they can use for other things. 
So this compressed schedule argument also raises the important point of the types of jobs that we're looking at. Because for certain jobs, for instance, office jobs, moving to a 10-hour day might not make a big difference to the work that is required. For instance, physical labor or blue-collar jobs, a 10-hour shift instead of an 8-hour workday would leave people significantly physically more drained. And a couple of studies out of Western universities, Ivy Business Schools, have shown that this leads to a decrease in productivity, unlike the increases in productivity that we've observed with other types of four-day work weeks. And this also brings us to our fourth argument, which is the lifetime argument, especially in physically taxing jobs like many blue-collar occupations such as nursing and construction. A five-day work week can be quite strenuous, which often leads to early retirement, to people not coping, working into old age, and then having to transition into what is often a mentally challenging retirement period. So there have been proposals such as out of the UK, and we put some material in the show notes, which suggests that if people forfeit five years of their retirement, so work five years longer overall, they could enjoy a three-day weekend for 20 of those work years. So working the same amount of work over one's lifetime, but spreading it out for longer and doing it only four days a week. So again, less hours in a week, maybe less pay, but then stretching it longer into retirement, significantly improving work-life balance or physical health in the case of physically taxing occupations. And we discussed this quite extensively on The Future This Week a couple of years ago, and especially how this would alleviate not only the inequality of wealth that many Western countries are experiencing, but also the inequality of leisure. That is not just the inequality that exists between the well-off and not so well-off, but also that exists between the old and young and middle-aged people in the amount of time off that they get. So again, the four-day work week as it is now discussed as part of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, is a very complex concept that might help with some aspects of the pandemic, such as avoiding redundancies, keeping people in jobs, but also potentially to spread out people when we return to the office. If we only work for four days a week, we have less people to accommodate, so that would help immediately with social distancing at work, but it is also important to keep track of which line of argument we're following when we talk about four-day work week and what it actually means. And in all conversations around the four-day work week, the question remains in the end, who goes first and how do people follow? Because this can only work if there is a critical mass of companies doing this. Let's remember the move to the five-day work week that Thomas Ford put forward with the Ford Motor Company. That was a very large corporation and many followed suit. It might be the same now if the large tech companies are the first movers or if governments indeed, like we've seen with Singapore, shift a openness to embrace or to put in place policies that would make it easier for companies to pilot and trial out the four-day work week. So once again, as with many topics we're discussing on Corona Business Insights, it becomes a question of never waste a good crisis or panic and neglect. Is this the moment where we can actually introduce some of those ideas or are we going back to modes of work that we were used to before the pandemic? And this is where we want to leave it today. Until next time, this was Corona Business Insights. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 
From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights, the podcast that explores the future of business.